morning. All right. Is anyone else super excited that we're back in the book of Acts? For all of you, really? All right. <laughs> so uh, if, you're, if you're new to this church, just so uh, you have a little bit of history here, last time we were in the book of the Acts, we were in uh, this book for like 100 years, it felt like, right? We just slowly went through it, but I felt like uh, just in general, we got a lot of fruit uh, from going through that book. Uh, we, we really enjoyed it. Um, the last time I actually preached a similar message that I'm going to be preaching this morning, uh, Sarah and I announced that we were leaving and going on the road. So uh, this, this message has a lot of meaning uh, for myself and my family, obviously. Uh, we are going to be in Acts 1-8. That's going to be our big uh, scripture this morning. We're not going to just stay there, but that's our, that's our big thing that we're going to be kind of circling around. Um, this was, if you've been keeping up with Bible Recap, this was a pretty big week, okay? We got to cover uh, some pretty big things. Uh, Great Commission, the Ascension, Acts 1-8, uh, just a lot of big events. And obviously, Acts, uh, not just Acts 1-8, but sorry, uh, the Great Commission, uh, Matthew 28, is something very near and dear to the heart of the shepherds here at Memorial. So much that we printed it and put it on the wall. Uh, because as we were, uh, when David and I first became uh, the, the pastors here, we were trying to decide kind of scripturally what we wanted to be as a church. And th- this, this is what we landed on because there really wasn't anything, any other vision statement or fancy words that we could have come up with that would have as deep as meaning as Matthew 28. Um, so from that, we made that a kind of our foundational scripture and everything was built from there. Um, everything that was built, how do we come back to the Great Commission and how do we make sure that everything connects to the gospel weekly? And here's what, here we are, right? So this, this is a big, big deal that this is where we were able to get to this week and be able to point back to this. How often do you see us point to the wall? How, but not only that, like weekly, right? How often do we forget that Jesus has all authority? Every day. Which is why we point to this every week. Or as often as we can. Because we always have to be reminded that we are not the ones with the authority. Jesus is the one with all authority. And it's only because of that authority that we go and make disciples. That's it. Right? We do not make disciples for our own name. But we make disciples to make the name of Jesus great. That's our mission. That's what we've agreed to. That's the reason why we always point back to the Great Commission. It's our foundation. It's something that we can easily agree with, right? That Jesus has all authority. Therefore, we go and make disciples. The basic idea of just going and make disciples is also just a really good definition of just missions in general. So um, I'm, I'm a definition guy. I like to keep things simple just because I kind of know uh, what lane we're in whenever we say missions. So uh, I had just a quick little definition. If we can bring that up. Yeah, this, so this is just a good, good way to kind of think about it. Okay, so missions is the outward impulse of the Christian through the spirit to be a witness of the gospel. Okay, so when we think of missions, when we think about going and make disciples, when we, when we think about stuff like this, we, that's what we have to, how we kind of put it in this lane, that it is through the Spirit that we have this outward impulse. 
The gospel message will not be bound. The gospel message will not be contained because through the power of the spirit, the message of the gospel will go out. And this is what we think of when we think of missions, okay? As being a witness of the gospel. Now, this word witness we use many different ways, and we're going to unpack that word here in just a little bit. But when, when we think about the gospel message going out, oftentimes we maybe have kind of a modern idea of, of, of missions and everything like that. But let, let's first like, just think about like, where we are today right? Like imagine just for a second that you're sitting in a church. Just for a second, if you can, right? Everyone look to your left, my left, your life, whatever, right? Look to your right, whatever. Look up. Don't look up. That's a joke. Okay. Just realize for a second that because you're sitting in this room, it worked and is currently working. Think about all the hands that you shook this morning. Think about how many times you opened your phone and listened to the Bible recap podcast or how many times you didn't, whatever, right? Maybe you get an email every day of like some devotion that you read through or something like that, you know? To the early church, we represent the ends of the earth. That's what we represent. And the beautiful thing about Acts 1-8, the beautiful thing about the Great Commission, the beautiful thing about all of this is that it adapts as we go because now the ends of the earth means something totally different to us than what it did the early church. When we think of the ends of earth now, we think of you know, third world countries and, and everything like that, right? It's because this is ever changing. The job is never done. And we can look at each other and realize that somewhere, many, 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 many miles away, many, many, many years ago, a man died on a cross. And because of that, we're sitting in this room. The mission is ever changing. But it's always the same one. Go and make disciples. Let's go ahead and open our Bibles and let's go ahead and read Acts 1.8. Let's read this real quick. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends, to the end of the earth, ends of the earth. So this go, I wanted to break down just a single verse a little bit more because there's some key words in this verse that uh, have a lot more depth and a lot more meaning uh, when we really think about like the original language and everything like that. Uh, So I want to make sure that we are fully getting the scope of what is meant when we read Acts 1.8. Okay, so uh, first word, like say, I think he's going to, yep, there we go. There's three major words. They're up here behind us, okay? The first one is dunamis, all right? And it means supernatural power. Which word do you think we're referring to when we say supernatural power? It's super easy. Power, okay? (laughs) All right, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. But this isn't just 
power as in like, I have the power to lift this monitor speaker, right? Because I have power, right? That's not what's implied here. It's not power as in like governmental authority. It is specific to supernatural power when you use the word dunamis. Does anyone can tell me what that word kind of sounds like? We've adapted it. Dynamite. Dunamis is the word that we get the word dynamite from. Explosive, supernatural power. So when we think about the Holy Spirit coming upon us, that's the kind of power we're talking about. Explosive power to that degree. Bonus points. Who invented dynamite? Nobel. Yeah, there we go. Bonus point. All right. Sorry, that has nothing to do with the sermon. Just interesting point. So, but he, the reason why he named it dynamite is because he thought it had the supernatural, but he's like, wow, this is, this is power no one's ever seen before. And that's how he, anyway, that's how he got there, whatever. Okay. So, <laughs> but anyway, so the supernatural explosive power is what we're supposed to get from. All right. Next word on here. You want to want to take a crack at that one? What was it? Close enough. <laughs> a parakamai means to overtake. All right? To overtake. What word this means? Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's what that overtakes. Okay? So it's not just like I am, you know, the Holy Spirit has come. It has presented itself. It means that it has such power that it overtakes and overcomes all of your action, all of your thought, and all of your will. Okay, that is the mass power of the Holy Spirit that is implied here in Acts 1.8. This particular version of come upon is only used 10 times in the New Testament. Eight of the 10 was written by Luke in the Gospel Luke and Acts. This degree of come upon is only used 10 times. So it's very specific. All right, last one. Martus means to be my witness. Does martyr sound like anything? Martyr. Let us never forget, Jesus died for this message. And when we are talking about Acts 1-8, when we are saying like, yeah, we're going to go, we're going to go on mission, we're going to do all this other stuff, we're talking about a supernatural explosive power that overtakes us, compels us to go out to die for the gospel. That's Acts 1-8. That is the amount of dedication that Luke is trying to imply with this verse. Now, this isn't me trying to like scare people saying like, you know, if you go out, you're going to calm down. Okay. But it is super important that we understand the weight of these words. So when we say that we are a mission church, when we say that we, we have a foundation in the Great Commission, when we say things like that, they don't need to just be words that we state. They don't need to be just things that we pronounce from the stage, but they need to know deep in our soul the amount of weight that we're saying and let that direct our steps as such. Amen? I'm not saying that there's not word, there's not this idea over here where, you know, you just go down and encounter Cove and serve. And it, yeah, absolutely. There's things like that. But mission 
is more than that. To be on mission is more than that. It may practically look like this, going and mowing, you know, the grass down in Counter Cove or, you know, one of these missions that we go to. It may practically look like that. But we need to never forget the source of our belief when we say we go out. That this is something that the early church was willing and it was understood that they could die for. There are often times that we confuse this idea of being called and having a calling. And when we say that we have the Great Commission, we have Acts 1-8, when we say all of these things, if you are born again, believing Christian, you are not sitting back waiting for some bolsterous voice to tell you where you are called to go, go do this, go do that, be a pastor here, be a blah, blah, blah. It comes with the calling. It came with the calling when you became a Christian. The call to leverage your life and be sent for the fulfillment of the Great Commission was included in your call to follow Jesus. Did you know what you were getting yourselves into? This isn't meant to be a scary sermon. Don't freak out too much. But it's just, did you understand when you started to follow Christ that this is what it meant? That it came with the action. It came with the calling. Not to just set in church. It, It was never meant that Christians were to just gather under a building and listen to some boisterous guy talk behind a pulpit or music stand, and then you feel good and go home for the week. Christianity was always supposed to be a place where we gather, equip ourselves, and then go out and spread the gospel even unto death. That was the mission from the beginning. The church building was never the destination. It was always the training facility. It was always the training facility. Let us remind ourselves how Jesus prays for us in John 17, verses 16 through 18. Let me read that real quick. They are not of the world. And just as I am not of the world, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent them into the world, as you sent me into the world, sorry, so I have sent them into the world. I like what David was saying earlier. We're talking about what are you saved from and what are you saved for, right? They are not of the world. We are saved from the world, but we are saved for the world. We are sent into it, even though we are saved from it. The sin that is here, we are saved from that. But we are not meant to be a part. We are not meant to be irrelevant. We are meant to step into it, lean into things. And point people to the truth. And what was truth? The word. The word was truth. Is truth. 
is truth. There's other things we can mention real quick. Uh, Matthew 4.19, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Mark 16.15, he said to them, go into the world and preach the gospel to all creation. And then we got great commission. So many times Jesus was trying to make us understand that go was the point. And not just go from the point of the apostles or just the disciples or just the people who wrote like half the New Testament like Paul. It wasn't just them. But it was a commission for all. It was a commission for everybody. The ultimate goal was to raise ordinary people under the power of the Holy Spirit to go out and bring the gospel to everyone that would hear it. And the church is integral in that. Because when you go and make disciples, that's not an individual mission. You go and the church makes the disciples. But we need to understand that even the ones that we, you would consider the ordinary people, right? The ones that maybe aren't, that you wouldn't consider yourself a church leader, that this applies to you as well. We're going to keep reading into uh, Acts here. We're going to read, uh, jump around on a couple stories real quick. So let's go ahead and go forward to Acts 6. And this is going to be the story of Stephen. A quick bio on Stephen and why we're even going to talk about him is that he is what you would have considered one of the quote-unquote ordinary guys, okay? He wasn't one of the apostles. He wasn't a, you know, one of the disciples or anything. He didn't write any books or anything like that. In fact, up until Acts 6, we hadn't even met the guy. And what he was set aside to do was simply distribute food. Simple. He was just called simply to serve. I think this is, if uh, you are one of the people here at the congregation that do the simple acts around here, everything from vacuuming um, our carpet here in the sanctuary all the way to making coffee for us in the morning and everything, just the simple servants, I want you to listen to this. I want you to listen to this. Acts 6 verse 8 tells us, Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. This quote-unquote ordinary guy that was just simply called to serve and distribute food was doing great signs and wonders. Stuff that up until this point you'd only have seen maybe from like Peter or John or some of these big names. But who is it that gives us the power to do great signs and wonders? Some of you may have uh, a different translations and everything, and it may say at the title for the book of Acts, it may say Acts of the Apostles, which is unfortunate because uh, it's not very descriptive, to be honest, um, because half the book is, has nothing to do with the apostles. <laughs> um, it sh should be more adequately said, acts of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is the star of the book. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives Stephen the power to do all these signs and wonders. 
So if you're one of them that just do the uh, quick, you know, the little serving jobs of vacuuming the floor or doing coffee this morning, hear that. The Holy Spirit is the star. And he's the one who empowers. And are you ready to act upon it? He does great signs among the people. Let's go jump down to verse 11. Then they secretly instigated men who said, and this is uh, some of the leaders and everything are uh, rising up against Stephen. Okay, so that's what's happening here. Uh, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against the holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And, gaze, and gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. There's so much to unpack there, but we don't got time. We got to get into it here. So the, the main thing we need to get here is the very end where it's like, sees the face like an angel. Uh, some other translations might say, uh, say something like he was glowing or he was bright, something like that. What uh, might be what other translations say. Point is, this is Luke's way of descriptively writing how Stephen was being empowered by the spirit. Because the next thing we see is him give this marvelous sermon that gets him killed. And finally we get in Acts 8, 1 through 4. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. Where did the persecution come from? From the ordinary servant, Stephen, who through the power of the Holy Spirit spoke a sermon that was so convicting and so angered the people to such a degree they killed him for it and he became the first witness, the first martyr of the Christian church. First, but definitely not the last because this is also a message that kills 11 out of the 12 disciples. Let's keep reading, actually, in Acts 8. Um, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. You catch that? The servant Stephen, the quote-unquote ordinary guy, is the one who finally, through his action, through his death, finally sets the church outwardly to go out and the apostles had nothing to do with it. The apostles had nothing to do with it. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. That's the first time we're introduced to Saul. I'm going to talk about him here in just a second. But the next guy that we're actually introduced to is Philip, who again was one of the servants that was just simply meant to distribute food. And we read a couple stories about him, how he witnesses to a eunuch and a magician and then disappears. 
kind of a weird section of the Bible, but he just kind of disappears. Poof. Um, but again, just kind of a regular guy. Because the thing we have to keep in mind that it is only the power of the Spirit that pushes it out. It is not this amazing teaching of Peter or John or anything like but it's the Spirit that empowers us. And that's why the, the book of Acts here starts focusing on these people like Stephen and Philip. In Acts 9, we finally do get the conversion of Saul, which, yes, is a pretty big name, for sure. He eventually becomes the apostle Paul after his conversion. But does anyone remember from the reading, who was it that prayed over Saul before he became Paul? Anyone remember his name? Ananias, right? Who? <laughs> right? Like, we hear this guy one time, and then we never hear from him again right? But he has this, this, this big part to play in the conversion of Saul, the guy who writes half of the New Testament. But this relatively no-name person is there and gone. And that's it. That, that's his inclusion. Ever how small a part that we may play in the overall distribution of the gospel is purely, purely by the moving of the Spirit. So when you feel like your, spark, your part may be so small and it's just insignificant, everything, you have no idea how it plays to the overall narrative of the gospel going out. You don't know. So when you feel, when you, when you hear the call in your, in your head, in your, whatever, audibly, however the Spirit speaks to you, and everything, if you hear that and you choose to not act because you're like, eh, that's below me. You don't understand. You don't know the impact. You don't know the impact. Finally, I want to jump ahead into Acts 17, and we're getting ready to, to land the ship here. And uh, in Acts 17, uh, now we, ha we have the conversion of Saul into Paul, right? The Apostle Paul. And now we have the story of Paul in Thessalonica in Acts 17. And we're going to read uh, verse 6 real quick, uh, but just a quick little, uh, little background, all right? So he was, he goes and he preaches in the synagogue and he meets this local guy named Jason. And they are after Paul, okay? This group of people are after Paul and they were able to escape, okay? But Jason, the guy who was housing them, he wasn't so lucky. He wasn't so lucky. And this, this mob basically comes and they seize Jason, okay, and in verse 6. And when they could not find them, meaning, you know, Paul, okay, all right, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. So this, this word upside down in the, in the original Greek, I mean, literally means to revolt, or to rise up. So th this, this mob, which is kind of ironic, this, this revolt and this mob is saying that these other guys are creating a revolt and a mob. <laughs> but if you know your geography, this is the interesting part. How quickly this message spread. Thessalonica 
is roughly 1,500 miles from Jerusalem. So over a short time span, not only has the message reached that far out, but has reached that far out with the understanding that this is going to turn the world upside down. It's a message that is that large. It is a message that is that powerful. It is a message that we are all burdened with. I had a note back here that I want to make sure I got in. In John 16, 7, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus did not just die to save us from our sins. Jesus also died so that we may be empowered to continue the mission. Yes, we are saved from our sin. Yes, we are saved from the the burdens of this world. But we are also saved for something. We are saved for a mission. We are saved for this world. And we have an ultimate hope of when Jesus returns. But until then, we are not to worry about that, about his return, but instead continue with what the mission is Acts 1, 6, and 7 actually talks about uh, the apostles ask, so now are you going to come and make everything right? And Jesus says, that's not for you to know. But, and then we go into Acts 1, 8. We're not to worry about what may come or worry about the future, but simply worry about Jesus would have us do. So obviously this seems like a really, really large thing, right? We go, we go, we go. Go where? Do what? I'm sure some of you type A people are already asking us, okay, but what does this mean? How do I do A, X, Y, Z, everything like that, right? That's, that's really great, Adam. I understand we're supposed to go. Go do what? So in closing here, let's just, let's just get really simple. The main mission is to go and make disciples. So let's just simply ask the question, how are you making a disciple? There's a question that we used to ask ourselves a lot around here. Who are you discipling? And who is discipling you? We used to ask that question quite a bit. So let's, let's re-ask that in our, in our heads this morning. As we're responding, who am I actively pouring into? I know uh, for, it could be something this simple too, because I know Sarah says this quite a bit. She goes, my, my discipling, what I, who I disciple are my kids. Those are, that's who I'm discipling right now. And that's awesome. That's fulfilling the Great Commission. So uh, there's, there's large missions. There's these international missions. There's all of this that we need to worry about. But then there's also the simplicity of our neighbors 
There's the simplicity of the person who's sitting across the room. There's the simplicity of your own children. We have a book. It's a blue book back there on the rack. It says, how do I find someone to, to disciple me? Maybe that'd be a good start for you this morning. Or we got some other resources over here. Uh, Knowing God is a great, great book. Could do some self-discipling there if you want to read through that. But sometimes it's just that simple. Start meeting someone for coffee once a week. Say, we're going to meet and we're just going to read through the book of Mark. That's what we're going to do. So as the worship team comes back up, and uh, if you guys would, go ahead and stand as we get to do, uh, go into response time here. I, I just want us to, to really sit and, and think about that question. Who am I discipling and who's discipling me? This is where it happens. The church is integral in this. This is the training facility, but we're not meant to stay. The ultimate goal is to go to go out and make disciples. If you would pray with me real quick. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we just pray this morning that the weight of what is being said in Acts 1-8, the explosive, just overtaking power of the spirit just truly come upon us so that we can be witnesses of the gospel, even unto death. Lord, just let the weight of that just just sit on us this morning. Let, Let the Spirit just sit on us with that. Let's feel that weight. Lord, just speak into our spirits this morning and bring bring to our our thoughts that person that we need to be discipling or bring to that thought, bring to our thoughts that person that we need to ask, hey, can you, can you sit with me? I have questions. Help us to, to grow in you, grow in our understanding of you so we can truly be witnesses to the ends of the earth. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.